Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson bringing to you today news from the United States and Brazil. Going to get started with the Brazilian news this week. This is, of course, about the current president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, Bolsonaro has gotten a massive boost to his power in his country uh, as he was able to appoint 77 new federal judges or the, you know, the equivalent of a, you know, like a federal level judge in the United States. Uh, this news is coming from the Folha de São Paulo, uh, which might be compared with something like the New York Times in the United States. You know, it's a paper of record type paper. This is coming as Bolsonaro is uh, already beginning to question the legitimacy of the upcoming election in Brazil. He has been laying the groundwork for his questioning of the legitimacy of this election for some time and has really doubled down on it as his popularity in the country has been waning. His appointment of all of these judges, which comes after his victory in a protracted legal battle that is more complicated than I'm intending to get into in a 15-minute podcast, uh, is setting the stage for real legal questions around the upcoming election. Uh, if you are familiar with what happened in the United States in 2020 and early 2021, then this will be very familiar to you. This is a sitting president using his power as the appointer of the judiciary to potentially shore up his position in the government, getting a lot of allies that will enable him to question the election's results or to, you know, set up the kind of challenges that will make him able to have a better chance of winning when the election actually happens. Turning to the United States in Wyoming, the Republican Party of Wyoming has voted to no longer recognize Liz Cheney as a member of the Republican Party. Liz Cheney, of course, is a senator for the Republicans from Wyoming, which is also the native state of her father, former Vice President Dick Cheney. This is coming from AP and is the latest in a realignment struggle with Liz Cheney, not at the center, but at one of these centers of this realignment struggle. This is a struggle between those Republicans who remained loyal to Donald Trump through his multiple impeachment proceedings and those who voted to impeach him. Uh, among the most famous of these are Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney, former Republican presidential nominee from back in 2012. The fact that this real establishment figure. I mean, you know, she, she's part of a real political dynasty. Cheney was in the United States government for several decades and was one of the most powerful vice presidents in United States history. And she is now really facing potentially losing her seat in a very deeply Republican state as an extremely conservative Republican over her loyalty to Trump and his particular brand of the Republican Party. This is real realignment shit. This means that the party is transforming in Trump's image, not just on the national level, but on the state and local level as well. Speaking of realignment figures in the Republican Party, we have Paul Gosar, a Republican member of Congress, has been censured in the House for his tweet uh, that he sent out a couple weeks ago, in which he murders uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a fellow representative in the United States House of Representatives. This tweet uh, is specifically a meme. It is a 
meme in which Gosar's face and AOC's faces are superimposed on images from an anime called Attack on Titan. Uh, now, what a fucking time to be alive, right? This is a sitting member of Congress retweeting a meme about an anime in which he murders one of his co-workers. Being censured means that Gosar is facing serious consequences from the House and has also been stripped of his membership in all of the committees that he is a member of. This is particularly important because Gosar is actually a very real ally of the extreme right in the United States. He has been a liaison between the Republican establishment, that is Donald Trump, and the extreme right, uh, that is Proud Boys, members of various militias like the Oath Keepers or the Three Percenters. So his being censured in this way and thus losing a pretty significant chunk of his power as a representative by no longer being a standing member of these committees is pretty real. However, this might be reversed if the Republicans were to take back Congress in 2022. Further in the United States, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump's former chief advisor and one of the main architects of Donald Trump's victory in the 2016 election, has surrendered himself to the FBI. He was charged with criminal contempt of Congress on November the 12th. Criminal contempt of Congress is a misdemeanor, but he was charged with several counts of it. He was charged by the Justice Department of the United States. These charges came as Bannon failed to appear before the Congressional January 6th Committee regarding his involvement in the Trump administration and the attempted coup of January 6th earlier this year. Mark Meadows and a bunch of other former Trump staffers are also facing similar charges. Among them is Stephen Miller, another former Donald Trump staff member. Now, contempt of Congress is only a misdemeanor, and it can only carry a maximum sentence of one year. However, it seems unlikely that Bannon will actually serve any of this jail time. Uh, for example, when he presented himself to the FBI, he was immediately released. Uh, he was released on something called recognizance, which essentially it means that a person is released on bail because they have signed a document saying that they promise that they will be in court, that they will actually show up on the approved court date. And usually it means that you have to turn over your passport and other identification that might allow you to escape your court date. Bannon has claimed that he and his allies will challenge these charges, uh, that if it comes to court, that they are going to fight really hard. He has been echoing, ironically, Joe Biden's own words regarding these charges. Biden said that these charges came because the Democrats were, quote, tired of playing defense regarding the Trump administration's assaults on the United States' democracy, Bannon has responded, saying that he and his allies will retaliate in kind, and literally, and this is a quote, that he would use this opportunity, that is, his trial for criminal contempt of Congress, that he would use his trial to, quote, take down the Biden regime. As in, his intention is to use this court to destabilize the narrative that the Biden administration and the Democratic Party in general have been using regarding the January 6th coup. Specifically, he's trying to delay this conversation to get it all tied up in a bunch of legalese that nobody cares about until, say, 2022, when it's extremely possible, if not likely, that the Republicans will take Congress back from the Democrats, or at least that their power in Congress will significantly increase to the point that moderate Democrats might not be willing to go along 
with something like the January 6th commission, or that they might want to drop these charges, or that they might just kind of want to sweep this under the rug. Conversely, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse has been getting a lot of attention, not just from the left, but also from the right. Arguments in the trial have ended. They ended earlier this week on Monday and Tuesday. The trial is over Rittenhouse's killing of two and wounding of one in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, during the summer's wave of Black Lives Matter protests. Rittenhouse, a native of Illinois, was a minor at the time and used a gun that he was not legally allowed to possess, according to certain state laws. However, he has been found to be incapable of being tried for his possession of this firearm by the judge in this court. Uh, this is a result of the judge's interpretation of certain aspects of Wisconsin state law. That means that Rittenhouse's possession of an AR-15 during these altercations, this AR-15 being the weapon he used to kill those two people, uh, that that is not part of the trial anymore. According to the judge, all that the jury is deliberating on is whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse was legitimately employing this weapon in self-defense, or if instead he is a murderer. Additionally, on, in disturbing news about this trial, the sort of buddy friendship mentory type relationship that the judge appears to have with Rittenhouse, that is, the defendants in the trial that the judge is presiding over, has really expanded. They've been doing some photos together, and the judge even allowed Rittenhouse to be the one who randomly pulled the jurors who would actually be deciding on his verdict. Now, this is not strictly illegal. It's not even like illicit or anything. Rittenhouse was just allowed to be the one who pulled the names of the six jurors of the 18 who heard the case who would be alternates as opposed to the 12 who would actually make the decision. Now, yeah, this wasn't illegal or illicit, but it's really indicative of the cavalier way that the judge has been handling this trial and specifically his relationship to Rittenhouse himself. The judge has been real buddy-buddy with Rittenhouse, and you, you you can just imagine the judge treating him like a child, you know, like the, that this might be something fun that this kid would want to do. This kid who, in the minds of the right wing, took up arms when his country failed itself and was putting itself in danger by not stopping rioters or looters, people who were just protesting state murder and state cover-ups of murder of Black people in the United States. Rittenhouse's trial will probably go down uh, very seriously in recent history in the United States, as it will either be a call to arms on the right if Rittenhouse is found to be guilty of murder, or it will be a call to arms on the right as Rittenhouse is acquitted, and it turns out that you can just kill protesters in the street as long as you claim that you were threatened by them in the trial afterwards. Gonna close this episode as I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week we are going to Spain, back to the pre-World War II era, and we are talking about a guy named José Antonio Primo de Rivera, who is colloquially known in Spanish history and also in Spanish politics generally as just José Antonio. He's the poster child of Spanish fascism. Uh, José Antonio was the son of Spain's first 
big 20th century dictator slash general and was an attorney and relatively uninvolved in politics for much of his early life, this coinciding with his father's dictatorship and the early parts of his father's self-imposed exile in France after the reestablishment of the Republic in Spain. However, José Antonio got involved in politics in 1932 in his involvement with an attempted coup, and then finally really got involved in politics in 1933 when he founded the Falange, which was Spain's most powerful fascist organization at the time. The party was initially relatively small and remained relatively small throughout most of José Antonio's life. It was a tinsy party of hyper-intellectuals modeling itself directly on the Italian fascist party, down to having uh, militant cadres, having little uniforms for people to wear, talking about violence, all that sort of stuff. Jose Antonio himself was not a militant, and unlike many other fascist ideologues from this time period, he was not a veteran, he was not a military guy, he wasn't even a particularly violent person himself, uh, although he did get into a couple of scrapes. Instead, Jose Antonio is the uh, is the perfect embodiment of the sort of like romantic fascist. You know, he he believed that virtue and honor and all of these sorts of like medieval ideals would be the sorts of things that could carry men forward into the 20th century, but in a mass form as opposed to an individual form. He was also a noted poet and author. However, his formal involvement in politics was cut pretty short. As I said before, the party itself was founded in 1933, but by 1936, it had transformed pretty significantly, having absorbed or, you know, combined with another fascist organization in Spain, the JONS, that is the Junta Ofensiva Nacional Socialista. This organization was the foundation of Spain's fascist movement in the 1930s. However, by 1936, tensions were rising in Spain. Jose Antonio was in government, as were a couple other fascist and extreme right-wingers, but they had been defeated by the election of the Broad Popular Front Coalition, which involved socialists, anarchists, republicans, uh, a bunch of other left and center-left figures. This unrest bubbled up as Jose Antonio himself was arrested over his possession of a firearm as the leader of a party. He was arrested early in 1936 and thereby missed the start of the Spanish Civil War in the summer of 1936. In October, still under arrest by the Spanish Republic, he was tried for his involvement in starting the Civil War, which you know, he arguably didn't participate in because he was in prison. But, you know, being a fascist, he was definitely involved in the start of a civil war. He was found guilty on November 18th, 1936, and was killed by firing squad this week in history, November 20th, 1936. So, Jose Antonio, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please share it with your friends, family, and comrades. Leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word. All right, I'll talk to you next week.